we all end up like our parents in one way or another, whether we want to or not. Some of that is genetics, some of that is the way we're raised, but like it or not, we will end up in some ways like our parents. I remember, and I don't remember the exact first time, because it's happened more than once, but I remember one of the first times I said something, I got on to one of my kids, and I remember saying it, and it sounded exactly like my dad. The words, the cadence, the tone, all of it, to the point that after saying it, I kind of jumped back like I was in trouble. Because I remembered what this was like, but it was so much like my dad. I thought, wow, I am becoming like my dad. There are other things that they are more of a choice. Um, So after my parents got a divorce, uh, my dad, he'd always done a lot of cooking. But after the divorce, of course, in that home, he did all the cooking. He cooked and he liked it. And he was good at it. And he tried to get better. And he wanted to make sure that his boys knew how to cook. Today, my brother and I, in our respective homes, do almost all of the cooking. And we like it. And we try and grow in it. And I can tell you still, not every time I'm making a meal, but every time I make a meal that is something kind of special, where I'm like, it's not just like a Monday night dinner, but I'm putting something into it, I am still thinking about my dad. I still remember after all these years, like his love of cooking, and I'm wanting to do this too, and it mattered to him, and it began to matter to me. And then I grew in it. This morning, I want to ask a question. What matters to our Heavenly Father? And are we growing in that? Now, there's a lot of things you could say matter to God. I mean, there's a number of things you could say. This is important, this is important. I want to ask a really significant thing. What sits at the very heart of who God is? And as His children... Will we take that seriously and grow in that? Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, this morning I ask you to reveal your heart to us. As your children, as followers of Jesus Christ, as citizens of the kingdom, Lord, help us to better understand what is important to you that it might be more important to us in an ever-increasing way so that we grow in it and we represent you well. Lord, equip and encourage us in all areas to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So what matters to God? If you would, open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We're picking up a little of where we left off last week. We're going to start in verse 7. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. Then Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry, 
because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's what God says. I have seen and heard and I know what they are going through. And I'm going to do something about it. But I'm not just going to do something about it. I'm not just going to rescue them from that. I want to bring them into something good. I want to bring them into this beautiful land. This, in a word, is redemption. And here is the message this morning. It is vitally important to Almighty God, to our Heavenly Father, that people are redeemed. And He wants us to be a part of it. Now, you see it right here. And this is the biggest story in the Old Testament of redemption. Bringing the children of Israel out of the ex- out of Egypt. I mean, the Exodus is the cornerstone for Israel. This is their redemption story. But it is God's story starting well before this and continuing on after this. If you go back into the story of Noah, that is God redeeming a family. Not just saving them from his wrath, but saving them from the sin that had decimated the world. He was redeeming them. If you look at Abraham, his story is the story of redemption. Redemption that would start with Abraham and move all the way forward to us, that we would be children of Abraham today. The story of Joseph is the story of redemption. Redeeming a family from famine. Over and over again is the story of redemption. God is all about this, even to the point that as you move into, especially the New Testament, this is a passage out of Romans 8. And it says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation, the creation, he is not, I'm going to keep reading, he is not just about us as individuals or a nation. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God is all about redemption. From individuals to a nation to the world in Christ to creation itself. We studied over the summer Ephesians. And there's a passage in Ephesians 1, a single verse In verse 10 of Ephesians 1, this is what he set forth in Christ. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Do you know that in Revelation there is a new heavens and a new earth? That all of the cosmos is being redeemed. This is our God. A God of redemption. 
who cares about a family, who cares about a nation, who cares about a world of people, who cares about the creation itself, who wants to redeem heaven and earth. That's our God. A God of redemption. And it's not just what He does, it's who He is. Finish this for me. For God so... Why did God redeem? Because of love. He so loved the world that He gave His Son. Now that is the same message, by the way, that you get in Deuteronomy 7 for why He redeemed Israel. Very specifically, He says, I did not redeem you because you were great in number or because you were special, but because of My love, I redeemed you. I think it is said maybe the best in the book of Jonah. You all know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah's sent to Nineveh. He's supposed to preach to them that they're going to be destroyed if they don't repent. He runs away. He finally comes back. He half-heartedly repeat, uh, preaches repentance to them. They do repent. And then you get chapter 4. And Noah's having a giant... Sorry. Jonah is having a giant pity party. And here's why. He says this. Because I knew you would do this. Because this is who you are. I knew you would redeem them if they repented. Because that's just who you are. That's why I ran in the first place. Because I knew your character. We serve a God of redemption. And it's not just what He does. It's who He is. And if that is the case, if that is our God, who should we be? People sharing the king's redemption. One of our three pillars is to share the king's redemption. And the reason that is there is it wasn't we were just looking for like neat words. We were trying to find some cool thing to do. We were just trying to make something up. It's because it is so central to who God is, to what God is doing. And if he's our father and that's what he does, what should we be doing as his kids? Sharing the king's redemption. That's my introduction. (laughs) But I feel like it is really, really important for us to understand that to share the king's redemption, it's it's not like just a duty. Um, It's not a rule that if you do it, you're going to earn something from God. It's not meant to bring guilt on you. It is because our Father is like this. And as His children, He desires for us to be like that as well. What I want to do is I want to give us four brief lessons to equip us to share the King's redemption. Four brief things that if we're going to go out and we're going to be people of the King, we're going to share His redemption with others. How do we do that? How do we get equipped to do that? Four brief things. Right? Number one, understand the breadth of possibilities in sharing the King's redemption. Understand the breadth of possibilities in sharing the King's redemption. Right? Here's what I mean. Yes, God redeemed a family in Noah. 
He redeemed a nation in Israel. He redeemed the world, or at least made possible the redemption of all people through Christ. But let me tell you what else he did. He redeemed a servant girl who would have been destitute in Genesis chapter 16 if it were not for God coming to redeem her. He redeemed a Moabite woman and her mother-in-law who would have suffered from a famine and been destitute if God hadn't redeemed them. He redeemed three arrogant men who spoke wrongly of God and attacked his servant Job who deserved judgment. And instead, in Job 42, God says, Job is going to pray for you guys and you're going to be forgiven. God and his ability to redeem It is not limited to the giant things. He also cares about individuals and their lives. And redemption is not limited to salvation. Hear that. As important and vital as it is that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, that they can come to faith and have eternal life, redemption is not limited to that. God is redeeming in a bunch of ways. And you see it especially in the ministry of Christ. Christ is the revelation of the Father in a way that nothing else is. He only does what he hears the Father do. He only does what the Father does. I want to share a few things that Christ does in his ministry. There is a woman who is caught in adultery. And she is brought before Christ. And a bunch of men say she needs to be condemned. She needs to be stoned because of this. Christ not only restores this woman's dignity by getting all of these men to get out of there because he, rec- they, he helps them recognize their own sin, but he also offers her a different kind of life. He cared so much about this woman that he offers her a redemptive life by getting the men out, restoring her dignity, and giving her a new chance. There's a woman that comes into a meal, and she breaks the traditions. She potentially brings shame on Jesus because he's with all these religious leaders, and she comes in and she touches him. She begins to cry over him. She uses her hair to wipe his feet. And the religious leaders are going... Man, what are you doing? Like, if you knew what kind of woman this was, she would not be touching you right now because you're being made unholy. And Jesus doesn't just defend her. He uplifts her. He actually ends up putting them down and restoring this woman by saying, the reason she's done this is because she has been forgiven so much. She has been loved so much that she is loving back. He redeems her in this moment. He takes a tax collector. You know what tax collectors were in Israel? Traitors. He takes a tax collector and makes him a disciple. That's redemption. He takes a man who was nothing more than a fisherman and makes him a leader in what will become the greatest movement the world has ever known. And when that fisherman publicly denies him, At his worst moments, three times, Peter says, I don't even know who this is. And the third time, Jesus is not only on trial for his life, he looks at Peter. 
Do you know who restores that relationship? Jesus. Jesus comes back to that man and restores it. He takes the guy who was actually trying to murder people in the church. In fact, he'd gotten permission to hunt them down. And he transforms this man's life so that he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. He writes 13 letters of the New Testament. This is what our God does. But I want you to see the breadth of possibilities. God is not limited to the four spiritual laws. He wants to see us redeeming relationships, redeeming moments, redeeming jobs. He wants to see, you know, when you are giving to this hurricane relief, that is a small form of redemption where you're trying to bring renewal. You're trying to restore people's lives. Do you know that the majority of the time when Jesus healed somebody, he never said any of the following. All right, now that I've done this for you, you need to believe in me. Now that I've done this for you, here's the offering plate. Never, not once. The majority of the time when Jesus healed somebody of sickness or cast out a demon, he didn't ask for anything in return. He was restoring life. The breadth of possibilities. I told you a couple weeks ago that my son is really into Legos. Do you know the possibilities of Legos? Especially the big blocks. He's got all these big blocks. And what they came in this, this little tub where you build a castle. And he can build the castle. But let me tell you what those Legos do. Those Legos, as of today, they are astronauts. They are transformers. They are animals and dragons and I mean, just every day, they are new things. The breadth of possibilities. You cannot limit it to the picture that was on that box. My son surely doesn't. There's a breadth of possibility to share the king's redemption. But will we start looking at every situation we walk into, every relationship, every job, every moment we might have with our kids, how is it that we can share the king's redemption in that moment? Number two, depend on the king's power. Depend on the king's power. Maybe at some point you've asked the question, maybe you haven't, why the plagues? It's kind of an odd thing to do. I mean, God could have just like squashed Egypt and pulled his people out. Instead, he goes through ten plagues over what might be up to a year's period of time. Why do it that way? Why go plague after plague after plague? Why bring the frogs and the gnats and the darkness? And Why not just save them? I mean, you could do that, right? In Exodus chapter 3, God has described what he's going to do, how he's going to bring the people out. And in verse 18, he says this. Um, sorry, verse 19. Let me find the right verse. Verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. 
very specifically, he says, I know the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And we will come back and talk about that more. I know the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And I know that if you walk up to Pharaoh and go, hey, we found our God. It's been a while. And we'd like to go now. Would you mind opening the gates? That there's no way he's going to let you out. He is going to require a huge demonstration of power. I want to say to you and to me, we cannot share the king's redemption in all of the ways that he would want us to in our own power. It requires the power of God. Here's what those plagues did. Those plagues made it very clear to Egypt a few things. Number one, Yahweh is superior to every god that's in Egypt. In fact, in Exodus 12 and in Numbers 33, it actually says these plagues, they were judgments on the gods of Egypt to show the Egyptians that Yahweh was more powerful than any of the gods. Even if they aren't real, they were real to them. And he wanted to show I am more powerful. And if you look at the plagues, many of them very directly connect to one of the gods of Egypt. They have a sun god. What do you think darkness was? They have a frog god. What do you think the plague of frogs was? They have a Nile god. Every plague that dealt with the Nile, they couldn't stop. These were judgments to say, I am more powerful than all of your gods. You better let my people go. Primarily, do you know what the hardness of heart was? You see, Pharaoh was also a god. They looked at him as a god. His word was absolute in Egypt. Anything he said was going to happen. What happens when your god can't even freely exercise his own will? How powerful is your god? You see, the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. You would think, after that long, after all of these displays of power, you would go, okay, I'm done. You win. Yahweh was not going to let him do that. Because even his will, Yahweh controlled. I am more powerful than anything you have to offer, Egypt. And here's the thing, and this is for us today. That power is the same power that's in work at us now. In Luke 24, Jesus tells the disciples, before you go out, I want you to go and wait for power on high. You can't just go do what I'm calling you to do. You need my power to do it. Paul, again, in Ephesians, talks about being strengthened by the power of his glorious might. That is the power. That power is still there for us. And it will only, it's the only way that you and I are going to share the king's redemption in the ways he wants us to share it. How do you access that power? Because I know you've heard what I just said in one way or another before. I mean, all preachers at some point say, you need God's power in your life. Yes, I know that, but how do I get God's power in my life? Number one, you need to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to tell you where it doesn't start. God is not Santa Claus. It doesn't start by you ignoring God most of your life 
And then when you get to some moment when you need it, you finally go, oh God, now I need power and let's go. He may respond still. He does respond to some people. In that, but I can tell you, that's not how it's set up. He wants us to walk in his spirit, which means daily, weekly, yearly, being aware of God in your life. It means committing yourself to following daily, weekly, yearly. It means you are actually thinking of his word. It means you are connected to your father so that the spirit is working in you. Start there. Number two, embrace your limitations. Embrace your weakness. Now, I don't mean that in some, like, pity party kind of way. I don't, oh, I'm just such a terrible person. I'm so weak, I can't do anything. I don't mean that at all. Right? We have a culture of strength. We do it on our own. I don't need your help. If I asked you to raise your hand right now, and I'm not going to, how easy is it for you to ask for help? I want you to raise your hand if it's easy. I bet very few people would raise their hand because we don't like asking for help. We like helping other people, but we don't like asking for help because we don't like to admit weakness. Paul said this, I boast in my weakness. And that is not because Paul is a wimp. Paul is maybe one of the toughest guys ever existed. How many people do you know that can get stoned in a town, dragged outside of the town and left for dead, stand back up and walk into the town again? That's not me. If I get stoned, I'm running away. Assuming I haven't broken my legs or something in the stoning. That's Paul. This guy's tough as nails. And he says, I boast in my weakness. Because when I am weak, he is strong. I embrace it. I don't try to do this on my own. I need the power of God. We've got to have that attitude. Or we will just continue to try to do it in our own strength. And number three, ask. Ask for the help. God, right now, I need to go in and I need to treat somebody well and they don't deserve it. And I'm mad. And I'm bitter. And I just want to go scream at them. I need your strength right now to do what is right. To go in there and redeem something that I don't even want to redeem. And then walk into it in faith. If you've been around redemption for any length of time, a couple years, you will probably know that I suffer from allergies. Because at least once a year, if not twice a year, I have an allergy voice. Um, sometimes an allergy sermon, which is very unclear uh, because my head is so cloudy. Um, and I've struggled with this for years since coming to North Texas. Now, let me tell you what doesn't work. Sleep. You can do a lot of sleep. It won't cure your allergies. In fact, sometimes you can't sleep because of your allergies. Eating healthy. You can change your diet. It still is not going to help your allergies. Exercise. Not going to help your allergies. I've tried this too. It doesn't work. Beer. <laughs> Even stout. I mean, it still doesn't change the allergies. So finally, 
I thought, I've got to do something about this because I've talked about allergy medicine. I've walked by allergy medicine in the store. I've seen commercials in allergy medicine. I've talked to my wife about allergy medicine. None of that worked either because I never took it. But I finally decided to get in my car last night, drive to CVS, go to the aisle where the allergy medicine is, sit down in that aisle with all 27 possibilities and try and figure out what in the world to do, which there, like, there's at least five different active ingredients in different allergy medicines, and I can't pronounce any of them. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Ultimately, what I decided to do is I know that Tim Archer does Zyrtec, so I went with Zyrtec. <laughs> because any medicine that can conquer Tim Archer's allergies can surely conquer mine. See, I'm convinced that if Tim had been born in Roman times, we wouldn't be talking about Julius Caesar. We'd be talking about Tim Archer. So I went with Zyrtec. Oh my goodness! 20 minutes in last night after popping that little pill, I could think again. Like, I, I could breathe. This morning, I am 90%. I've been like 40% for the last four or five days. It worked! But I needed something outside of myself because everything I tried didn't work on my own. I needed help, and I actually had to use the help not just watch the commercial, talk about the medicine, walk by the medicine, think about the medicine, have a conversation about the medicine. I had to take it. Same thing is true of the power of God. Walk in the Spirit. Embrace your weakness and ask for that help and then in faith step into it. Number three, focus on being faithful when you, when you share the King's redemption. Focus on being faithful. All right, this whole thing about Pharaoh hardening his heart. Let's talk about that. Um, there's a lot of, there's debate, there's people talking about it's unfair with God and what happened and all of this stuff. All right, here are the facts of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It happens 20 times in Exodus. Ten of them God does, ten of them Pharaoh does himself. Pharaoh is culpable for the hardness of his heart. It's not just God completely overriding Pharaoh's will in all cases and never giving him a chance. It is God taking what is in Pharaoh and making it stick. Because in the beginning, it is Pharaoh who hardens his heart against God. You know, and that happens first five plagues. And the seventh plague, after God has already hardened his heart, Pharaoh and his servants then harden their own hearts again. Right? And here's the point. And you need to hear this. You cannot change people. Even the power of God cannot always change people because God has allowed people to make choices. And if you put on yourself the success of your attempt to share redemption, you are going to be let down. You are going to be hurt. You are going to be frustrated. Our focus is not the result. It's in being faithful. Because people do have hardened hearts at times. And we need to embrace that we don't always have what it takes to change that. Like, do not put that on yourself as long as you're being faithful to God. 
as long as you are willing to step out and share the redemption, it's not your job to make them change. Paul, when he was getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and he thought maybe for the last time, and he's talking to the Ephesian elders, and he, write, he says this to them. He spent three years in Ephesus, and so we got to know them well. And he says this to them. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone out proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Again, he's heading towards Jerusalem. He thinks he's going to die. Therefore, listen to this, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. That's a pretty big statement there. Why? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Notice what he doesn't say. Because I saved every single soul that I spoke to. He didn't put that on himself. That's not up to him. What he said was, I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. I did what was within my power to share the redemption. That's what we're called to do. To be faithful. To share the redemption. And if people don't respond, as long as we're being faithful, that is what we can do. Don't put it on you if they give you the middle finger after you share the redemption. That's on them, not on you. And lastly, give out of what you've been given. You want to share the king's redemption? Give out of what you have been given. You see, there's a reason that John writes, he loved us first and so we love. There's a reason that it is said, forgive as you have been forgiven. Because what we have to offer to others is what God has given to us. If you are trying to offer something that you have not embraced from God, it will be very hard to offer it. If you still struggle with accepting God's forgiveness, it is seriously hard to want to forgive other people. If you are still struggling with God loving you in, in that unconditional, beautiful way that He does, it can be very, very hard to love certain other people. Because we are called to give out of what we've been given. That's how we share. That's the redemption we have to offer. There's this weird, kind of weird thing that God says as part of the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 12, this is right before the last plague. Hey, this is the one where it's actually going to happen and he's going to say, go. And it's going to head toward the Red Sea. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 1, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month, one we're in now, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. It's kind of a strange thing to do. Here they are. They're slaves in Egypt. They've seen all these plagues. They're supposedly getting ready to, like, escape. And God says, I'm going to change your calendar. That's a weird timing for that. Why? Because God is setting as the very foundation of how they organize their lives His redemption. He says, I want you to readjust your entire calendar so that it starts with redemption. Your first month is when I took you out. And I want you to see your life in that way. I, I will ask for a raise of hands on this. For how many of you 
is your calendar really important for your life? Just raise your hand. Like 90% of our congregation. Why is it that God says today will be your first month now? I'm going to redo your calendar. Because I want your entire life centered on what I did for you. I want you to live out of that. Because you cannot give what you have not received. There was this beautiful story last year of a young man at Fossil Ridge High School. His name is Max Aiken. He was the quarterback. And he was one of the four nominations for Prom King. But then that night, and if you remember high school, that point where everybody's in the stadium, and then they have the four nominees that come out, and then they choose the one that gets it. And he got chosen, which, you know, he's the quarterback. It's not surprising he got chosen. He gets chosen. He gets his crown. There's another person that was one of the four nominees. Name is N.L. Norwood. He's a young man that has cerebral palsy. He was also the equipment manager for the football team. And after receiving the crown, he takes off his crown and he starts walking toward Norwood. And the whole stadium starts chanting Norwood's name. And he kneels down before this young man and lifts the crown up to him. And he takes the crown and puts it on his head. It was a beautiful moment. The whole school was rejoicing in this moment. But as amazing as that quarterback was, all of his skill, all of his talent, his personality, everybody liked him, he's good looking, I mean all of it. He did not have that crown to give until it was given to him. That beautiful moment could only happen because something was done for him. What God has done for us is what we can do for others. We give out of what has been given as we are sharing the King's redemption. Four things. Understand the breadth of possibilities. There's a lot of ways we can share the King's redemption. Number two, depend on God's power. We can't do this on our own. As you are doing it, focus on faithfulness, not on results, because it won't always turn out the way you want it to. And number four, give out of what you've been given. My dad taught me a lot of things. Some he meant to, some he didn't. One of the ones that meant the most to me, and I think at the time it meant the most to him. I have a very, very vivid memory um, of standing in a home that I haven't lived in for over 30 years. I remember the room. I remember where I was at. I remember where he was at. My mom and my dad were getting ready to go dancing. And they were both dressed up. Uh, they were country dancers. They did it a lot. Um, so my dad's got a cowboy hat on, and they're wearing boots. And, you know, and I remember my dad walking up. My mom is there talking to us, my brother and me. And my dad walks up, and he stops by my mom. And he looks at her. And then he looks at us. And he says, that is the most beautiful woman in the world. And I still remember it. And I remember it because I could hear, even then, I was like 10 years old, I could hear in my dad's voice that he meant far more than physical beauty. His 
respect and love for my mom. And he wanted us to know it. He wanted his kids to know how much she meant to him. And it has stuck with me. And right now, I think, I hope, I pray. If you talk to my kids, especially my daughter, my my boys are still learning. They might also know how I feel about their mom. That I would say that a hundred, a thousand times. This is the most beautiful woman in the world. And I would mean far more than physical beauty. Because I want my kids to know how much she means. And I don't mean this in a sexist kind of way. I really want my boys to know. I want my boys to know how to treat a woman. I want them to know what the value she has. That is significant to me. And it started with my dad. Our Heavenly Father finds redemption more significant than maybe anything else. How significant will it be to us? Will we share the King's redemption? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for loving us in our sin. Thank you for freeing us, for giving us new life, new hope, new purpose. Thank you for daily offering mercy and restoration and grace into our lives. Thank you that every day we can come to you, confess our sins, and you forgive. Or thank you that you're with us. Help us to embrace all that you have given so that we have that to give to others. And use us, we pray, for your will to share the King's redemption. In Christ's holy name we ask it. Amen.